0: Well, good morning, church. Uh, Glad to open God's word with you this morning. In fact, I'd invite you to do just that, open to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 18 to 25 this morning. Uh, But as we prepare to to hear from God's word, let's take a moment and let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful, Lord, for uh, this Christmas season, for the reminder that Jesus Christ, he has come that he has uh, come and he has uh, died on the cross and he has risen again, that the grave is empty. And Lord, because of this, we have hope. And Father, we pray this morning as we uh, look at uh, the text of the birth of Christ, Lord, would we again be reminded of the hope that we have in the midst of a year that has been difficult and trying. Lord, would we be reminded, God, that there is such a great hope that we have we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it uh, certainly has been a, a different year, to say the least. And some, some of us might actually think to, to call 2020 a different year would be an understatement. And uh, as you've probably experienced already, that this Christmas season is going to be a different Christmas season. I, I've certainly felt this already with traditions and uh, things that I've done over the years. They're, they're being set aside. They're not happening as they normally would. In fact, I was thinking of a tradition that I, uh, I've done for the last number of years since I was really in high school that I've done this. And it's not necessarily a Christmas tradition, but a tradition that happened during that week and between Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And uh, the tradition is getting together with some of my childhood friends. We'd get together for a meal. It always made sense to get together during that time of the year because uh, once we graduated out of high school, all of us went uh, to different places Um, living different places, working different places. And it's the one time of the year when we're actually back in one spot together. And during uh, that week, we get together for a meal at the one restaurant uh, in my town. I grew up in a small town and we get together and we enjoy enjoy the same mediocre chicken club sandwiches and we catch up and we have a good time. I was thinking back to a conversation that I had with one of uh, my friends a number of years ago at one of these get togethers. And he uh, was sharing a little bit about his Christmas Eve traditions that he does with his family. And he was sharing about how every Christmas Eve, uh, in the afternoon, they go to his grandma's house, him and his extended family, and they have Lupper. They don't have lunch, they don't have supper, they have Lupper. And then right after Lupper, they go to his grandma's Christmas Eve service at her church. And as he was telling me this, I was like, what did you think of the Christmas Eve service? How was it? And uh, his response was, they need to work on, on the chairs. They're so uncomfortable. I was like, not the chairs. Who cares about the pews? How was the actual service? And he began to explain, it's the same as it is every year. It's the you know, same songs are sung. The same Bible readings are read. And the same talk about the birth of Jesus. And I remember asking him, what did you think of the birth of Jesus? His response is, I don't see why it's such a big deal. I don't understand why it's made such a big deal. I don't understand why it matters so much. This is an important question. Does the birth of Christ matter? Why does it matter? This is the question our text answers this morning. Because the birth of Jesus Christ matters infinitely. It is of first importance. It is primary importance because if we don't understand why the birth of Jesus Christ matters, we will fail to understand Jesus's ministry. We will fail to understand why Jesus could go to the cross. He could die and he could resurrect and forgive sins. The incarnation, as we call it, is what we're celebrating this Christmas season, the birth of Jesus Christ. And we are going to discover and look at our text afresh and anew why the birth of Jesus Christ matters so much to us, even today. In the midst of a year that's been dark and dreary and depressing, there's some real good news of great joy right here in this text. So we're gonna read our text, Matthew chapter one, verse 18 to 25. I hope you can follow along with me now. Verse 18, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, as he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. As we saw Uh, Last week, uh, Pastor Jason, uh, we were in the previous verses to these, the first part of chapter one, looking at Jesus's human ancestry. That Jesus is, in fact, the promised son of Abraham. He is, in fact, the promised son of David. And we see here, Matthew, he begins to shift a little bit. He's not looking at Jesus's ancestry, human ancestry anymore. He's looking at Jesus's divine ancestry who Jesus is, and in the midst of him unpacking Jesus's divine ancestry, he gets to why Jesus has come. And we're going to see three points that come out of our text this morning that really form one big truth. And this big truth, again, in the midst of a dark and dreary year, this is some good news for us. I don't know about you, but I want some good news in my life. So our first point is that Jesus's origin miraculous conception. Look at verse 18. Matthew says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. He's saying, this is how it happened. This is what went down. And he says, when his mother, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child. So Mary and Joseph, they are betrothed, and we don't get betrothed in our culture anymore, but betrothal was to be legally married. And the only uh, difference really between uh, being married and betrothed was that during the betrothal period, a couple was not physically intimate. So Mary and Joseph, not physically intimate, and Joseph, we don't know how, the scripture doesn't tell us how, he finds out that his wife is pregnant. And from what we gather in these first few verses is that Joseph knows one thing for certain, that this child is not his baby. He is not the dad of this baby. So in verse 19, it says, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph was a man who wanted to keep the law of Moses. He was a just man. But he obviously, he cared for Mary and he wanted to do this quietly. He wanted to divorce her quietly because as he thought that she committed an affair, which we know is not true, as we will learn and as he will learn. And what we see then is as he's wrestling through this in verse 20, he says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is who the father of this child is, God, God's spirit. We see that again in verse 18, that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is the child that Mary has, is the son of God. Why is this important? Why is Matthew making such a big deal that Jesus is of the Holy Spirit? He is born of a virgin of the Holy Spirit, conceived of the Holy Spirit. He's making a big deal because if Jesus is not born of the Holy Spirit, he cannot do what only God can do. Now, there's some miraculous births in scripture. I think of Abraham and Sarah. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, you're going to be a a man and a father of many nations. And it's through your offspring that this is going to happen. And Abraham, he was a man old in years and his wife Uh, a a woman that was way past her natural years to be able to have a child. And Abraham, he goes to Sarah, you remember this? He says, God has said that we're going to have a a child and he's going to uh, be the means in which he's going to fill the earth and we're going to have an offspring that will be plentiful, more than the sands of the sea. And Sarah, she laughs. It's ridiculous. But we know that God uh, keeps his word and they have a child miraculously. Or you think of 1 Samuel chapter one, the woman Hannah, a woman with a barren womb, unable to have children. prays earnestly to the Lord. Years and years, Lord, bless me with a child. The Lord answers. And she gives birth to Samuel, who becomes the prophet Samuel. There are some miraculous births in scripture, but there is none like Jesus Christ's birth. Nowhere does the Holy Spirit conceive of a child in a virgin. Why is this so important? Why is he making such a strong emphasis on this? Because if Jesus was not God's son, he could not do what only God could do. This is so important for us that Matthew is making such an important point for us that Jesus, he had to have divine fatherhood. If he did not, He could not save people from their sins. But it's so important because Jesus, he had to have a parent. He had to have a human parent as well because if Jesus did not have a human parent, he could not take the place of human sinners. He had to be a man, but he had to be fully God. This is so important for us. I've noticed a trend over the last number of years that there's a number of movies and television shows and stories about frauds or imposters. And you might know the famous Frank Abagnale, who was a true story. He was a fraud and imposter and he pretended to be a Pan Am American pilot. And he pretended to be a doctor. Can you imagine finding out the pilot of your plane? He never went to law school. Doesn't know the first thing about aerodynamics. Terrifying. Terrifying. Imagine your doctor. Your doctor never went to med school. Never did his residency. Doesn't know anything about the human anatomy. Absolutely terrifying. And if you found that out, you would question everything. Everything. That your doctor said to you. You'd question the diagnosis. You'd question the things he might be uh, have prescribed to you. That we care a lot about credentials. I certainly care about credentials and care that my doctor is in fact a doctor. Or if we had a lawyer and needed a lawyer, we would care that the lawyer did go to law school, did pass the bar. It's important to us. We care about credentials. And Matthew, he is emphasizing, if you will, Jesus's credentials to do what only he could do later on, that this is who Jesus is. He is not a fraud. He is not an imposter. He is the son of God. This is why he can heal the blind. This is why he can heal the leper. This is why he can walk on water. This is why he can turn water into wine. This is why he can take the punishment for your sins. This is why. We see that Jesus' origin, who he is, his ancestry, enables his purpose. Jesus' origin enables his purpose. This is our second point, that Jesus' purpose, born to save sinners. This is Jesus' purpose, born to save sinners. Look with me at verse 21. It says this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus wasn't a newer, unfamiliar name to the Jewish people at the time. In fact, when they heard the name Jesus, they probably thought of Joshua. And Joshua, he was uh, the successor to Moses. And you can read about Joshua in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And Joshua, he led the people of Israel into the promised land. He led them to conquer the inhabitants of the land. So they they were very familiar with this name, Jesus, or Yeshua, or Joshua. And we know that names are important. Names are important. Anyone that's been a parent that's named uh, uh, their child, that they've taken thought. If you talk to a lot of parents, you often hear, we named him this, or we named her this, because it means this. And Names are especially important in the Bible. Names are especially important in the Bible. You remember Abraham, that when God says that you will be the father of many nations, you will no longer be called Abram, but Abraham. Names are important in the Bible. Even in uh, Second or First Samuel chapter four, uh, you can read of Phineas's wife, the priest Phineas. Uh, he is murdered and his father-in-law is murdered and the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence with his people was stolen by the enemy. And Phineas's wife, she gets word that, hey, your husband's died, your father-in-law's died and the Ark of the Covenant's been taken. God's presence has been taken and she's pregnant at the time and she actually goes into labor, gives birth uh, to this child and she calls her child to describe the events of just what happened, that you will be called Ichabod. Because the glory has departed. Because the glory has departed, Israel. This will be your name. Names are important. And we read here that it's not Mary, it's not Joseph who named Jesus. It's the angel of the Lord delivering the name, saying that you shall call his name Jesus. And Jesus literally means God saves. God is salvation. And what's really interesting here is the angel doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, you will call his name Jesus, and then keeps flying on by. No, he stops there and he says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Jewish people at the time, they believed the Messiah was coming. And they believed that the Messiah was going to come and conquer uh, oppressors and government and be a great ruler and mighty warrior. That's who they thought the Messiah was gonna be. And the angel of the Lord is bringing special emphasis to who Jesus is, that he has not come to conquer Rome. He hasn't come to conquer any government uh, oppression. He has come to save his people from their sins. This is why he has come. This is why he has come. To save his people from their sins. And we see over the course of the book of Matthew that uh, Matthew begins to elaborate. And in the New Testament, we see that God's people aren't just the Jewish people, but it's the Gentiles too. It's all people. That when Jesus ascends to heaven, he tells his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell them of this good news. This is... Good news for all people. I don't know about you, but if 2020 has taught me one thing. It's that we live in a really messed up world. Like constantly, every single day, there's something more tragic that's happened uh, than the next. And you turn on the news and everyone kind of has an idea of what the problem is and what the solution is. Everyone, uh, some people think that it's, it's COVID-19. COVID-19 is the issue. If we can fix COVID-19, if we can end this pandemic, we're going to be in a good place as, as a society, as humanity. And then others, they think, no, the issue is politicians. If we get rid of politicians, that's going to so- solve a host of issues. And others think, no, the issue is poverty and homelessness. If we could solve poverty and homelessness we would be in a better place as a society. And then others, social inequality, social justice. That is what's wrong with society. If we can fix this, we're going to be in a good place. And I feel the weight of those things. Just like you, I feel the weight and effects of those things. But we grossly underestimate the issue humanity has if we think any of those things are the problem. But the the things that we have experienced this year, the suffering, the pain, the discouragement, what we are experiencing are symptoms. We are experiencing symptoms of a greater issue, sin. Sin is the main issue, the most pressing, most important, most deadly issue in your life. And this is why Jesus Christ has come. He has come to save you from your sins. He didn't come to conquer worldly governments, to conquer worldly leaders. The reality is we didn't need God's son to do that. Mere men can do that. We've seen history prove that. Mere men can rise up and take out another government. But men have never, could never fix their own sin, deliver themselves from their own sin, save themselves from their own sin but God can, God can. And this is why Jesus Christ has come. This is good news for us. We can have hope because Jesus Christ has not left us in our sin, but he has come and he can uh, forgive us of our sin when we come to him because Jesus's origin enables his purpose. Who Jesus is, allows him to do what only God can do, save us from our sins. Jesus's origin enables his purpose, which proves he's God's son, which proves he is God's son. Look with me at verse 22. It says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. It says that all of these things took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. In Matthew here, he quotes Isaiah chapter seven. And to give a little context about Isaiah chapter seven, that Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter seven to King Ahaz. And King Ahaz, he was a wicked man. King, He was a king in the line of David, but he did not follow the Lord. He was a king who promoted much idol worship in Israel. And two other kings actually rise up against King Ahaz and want to destroy him, remove him, cut the people off. And King Ahaz has Isaiah come to him and Isaiah comes to him and says, Ahaz, if you repent, if you turn to God, he will deliver you. He will save you. He will not forsake you. Forsake his promise to David to always have a man on the throne and and not forsake his people. Come to him, repent. And Ahaz refuses. He refuses to go and and repent to God. In fact, what Ahaz does is he actually goes to the king of Assyria and he asks uh, the king of Assyria for help. But we know The kingdom is destroyed. But we know that God does not forsake his people because the line of David was not destroyed. We know the people of God were not destroyed. And Isaiah, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of Ahaz refusing to repent, Isaiah says, you know what? God is not going to forsake his people. Even if you are unfaithful, he is faithful. And the greatest sign that God is going to give to his people that he does not forsake them is the sign of Emmanuel, God with us. That this is going to be the greatest sign that God is not going to forsake his people. Emmanuel would come. Throughout the Old Testament, there's uh, uh, pictures and symbols of God dwelling with his presence. And uh, the two that really represent God's presence with his people is the tabernacle, In the temple. And we know back in Genesis chapter one and two, that Adam and Eve, they had perfect fellowship with God, perfect relationship with God, no sin in the world. But we know in Genesis chapter three, that they rebel, that they don't follow God. And because of that, sin enters the world, sin enters their lives, and sin enters every single human being that comes from them after that. And hence, we are still sinful. And we see throughout the Old Testament because of their sin that they were cast out of the garden because sin separates us from God. Sinners cannot have fellowship and be close to a holy God. And we see pictures of this throughout the Old Testament. We see Moses in the burning bush and he can't come close because if he comes too close to a holy God, he will die. we see the people of Israel and Mount Sinai when God is on the mountain, they can't come too close to the mountain or they will die. We see even the priests once a year, only once a year after sacrifice and ceremony could only go in to the Holy of Holies because sinners cannot come close to a holy God. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, you can read of a man named Uzziah. And Uzziah is close to the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, it's the story of when the Ark of the Covenant begins to tip. And Uzziah naturally reaches out to want to steady the Ark of the Covenant. And he touches it, and he's struck down Dead because sinners cannot come close to a holy God. And what we see in Jesus Christ is that the holy God has come to us, that the holy God has come close to sinners. This is good news. This is good news of great joy. This isn't hallmark fluff. This isn't hallmark fluff. In in the midst of a dark and dreary and depressing, year, and Christmas. This is real good news. That the one who trusts in Jesus Christ has hope beyond the grave. That the one who trusts in Jesus Christ can be again reunited with God and have relationship with him because of what Christ has done. Because he has come and he did go to the cross and he did suffer the punishment and death that you deserve so that he could give you forgiveness and salvation and, again, really bring us back to the garden, fellowship with God. This is good news. This is good news. And this Christmas, as you really wrestle through all of these things and really feel the weight of the pain and the difficulty of this year, that the reality is you're going to feel like this Christmas is just going to be one of the worst Christmases. That traditions, get-togethers, time with family, time with friends, it's not going to happen like it usually does. There's good news for us right here. Because the one who trusts in Jesus Christ, even on the worst day, it's still a good day. Even on the worst Christmas it's still a good Christmas. Why? Because Jesus Christ has come and he has come to save us from our sins. He's come to save you from your sins. And you can experience this joy. You can experience this hope. And yes, there is going to be sorrow. Yes, this week is going to be tough. But there's hope. There's hope. There's still joy. The hope that Jesus Christ, he has come. And he's coming back. And he's coming back with the armies of heaven. And when he comes back, we're going to be reunited face to face with the Lord, with our savior. And he's going to wipe away every tear. And he is going to take all the sorrow away and all the pain. This is good news. In the midst of such a tough year, this is good news. And we can celebrate, we can have joy, we can have hope because Jesus' origin enables his purpose, which proves he's God's son. Church, would you pray with me? Lord God, we are thankful. We are thankful for Jesus Christ. Lord, that we don't have superficial false hope, but that we have real hope. God, that we have real joy and in the midst of suffering and sorrow, God, we can still rejoice. We can still sing your praise. We can still know that even the pain that we experience and the sorrow we feel, Lord, that it's not the end. That's that's not all that you have for us. God, I pray for each of us, all carrying different pains and hurts and sorrows. God, would we, would we do as Jesus has commanded us, come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, he will give us rest. God, would we come to you? We can come to you because you have come to us. Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.